Welcome to Saga Craft. Myths, fairy tales, legends, stories comfort us, inspire us, and heal us. Please join us as we share stories, both old and new. More than anything, we are open to the story and its unfolding. At times, it may be one story told by one person. At times, it's the same story told through three different voices. In the end, we go where the story takes us, and we invite you to follow. I'm C, a writer, artist, and storyteller. I'm Betsy, a medium and teacher of mystery traditions. I'm Gabriella, an artist and practitioner of folk magic. We, we are, are magical, magical fairy godmothers, godmothers in, in training. training. Today's stories are about the power of the mirror. We hope you enjoy them. The wind came up, whining and growing in power. The trees of the forest adjacent to the clearing in which the great hall sat rocked side by side as the wind moved through it. Clouds scudding across the sky were taking on a dark gray and yellowish hue. The day which had held some of the last warmth of the fall season plummeted into an unseasonable cold. The house servants, gathering in wood and chopping more, looked at the sky with growing concern. Witch weather, one shouted over the rising wind. The other made a warding sign with one hand and pulled up his collar with the other. Thora, young mistress of the household at age 13, came out to see why the wind was capriciously sending smoke throughout the main room of the hall. Looking at the dark yellowish cast to the sky, she hurried back in threw a cloak around her shoulders, took a partial loaf of bread and a jug of ale, and hurried to the edge of the woods where her grandmother had a small home. Knocking and then entering immediately, she was not surprised to see her grandmother had out her scrying mirror with vervain smoldering in a stone dish. Which weather the men are calling it, she said breathlessly. I'd have to agree, her grandmother said. Someone has sent this and they mean trouble. What shall we do? I'm looking into it, but it doesn't look good. What do you see? She came over to peer into the mirror over her grand shoulder. She shuddered as cold chills ran up and down her spine. That can't be true, she asked. What do you see? I see the hall burning. I see it too. There was a sudden clattering on the roof and the girl ran to the door to see. Hail, big hail. It will topple the last of the crops in the fields. Hagalaz, Isa, and then Kano. Why is this happening? Father? Yes, one raid too many, I think. Your mother has already run off. His luck is changing. Oh, Gran, what shall we do? Can we fight this? Not straight on, for it's a spell that gobbles up whatever is thrown at it. The more we try, the worse it will get. Knows magic like that. The Finns and anyone training with them would be my guess. What do you think? She asked her house elf. He was wringing his hands and packing things in a little rucksack. You're not going to survive, mistress, he said. I'm packing for the young mistress and myself. Sfort, she cried. How can you say that? It's what I saw in the mirror. You don't have much time. Get the gold and warm clothes from the hall, a knife and a bowl. Don't try to pack unnecessary things or all will be lost. And get that old short sword you practice with. Hurry. Thor ran back to the house to do as she was bidden, dodging the hail with a wooden cutting board held over her head. Her arms and back stung where the large hailstones struck her. Sport and the old lady looked speakingly into each other's eyes and said their goodbyes. She looked again in the mirror, this time asking what happened if she fought. Whether she fought or not, the outcome was grim. Her granddaughter was the only human survivor and her only companion, the house elf. She saw that she could draw the fire literally of the witch and give precious moments of safety to her granddaughter. Whatever choice she made, she died. So be it, she'd go down with a fight, and she would give a bit more time for her beloved Thor to go deeper into the forest. She built up her own fire, 
throwing in the pieces of sacred wood that she'd accumulated over the years. She wove a spell around the mirror, adding to its power, and when finished, grimly showed the elf the new change. He looked into it and saw not the future, but himself, only better. What is it? It shows people what they ought to be, said Gran. The witch could likely track the girl with the mirror as it was. This way, Thora is stepping out of the web and making a new one. The witch will not be able to track her and will have to step out of the web herself to stop her. Please, Fort. She took hold of his hand, tiny in her gnarled fingers. I release you from my service and I bind you to Thora. Where she goes, so do you. Where she makes her home, so do you. Svort agreed and picked up the fire starter and his own little ale cup. Gran nodded and he packed them into his sack. When Thora returned, she was crying but stubbornly wiping them from her face and asked her grandmother for a blessing. We exchange blessings, her grand said gently. So they did. And then Gran pushed them towards the door and said, run now and don't stop. I told the servants to run, but they're barricading themselves in the house. Yes, said Gran, and you have to forget about that and forget about here. Take this. She handed the wrapped mirror to her. If you get into trouble, take out the mirror and show whomever it is the mirror's face for them to look into. It will show them what they ought to do, and then they may well do that. Now go. Thora and Svort ran into the forest. He was much slower, and so she picked him up and held him first to her chest, and then later to sit atop her shoulders as she ran. The sounds behind them grew louder as lightning struck the hall. The hail had ceased, and now the danger was fire. In her bones, Thora could feel her grandmother pulling on the ground and the trees, coiling the energy like a great lasso and throwing it at the witch. She abruptly felt her grandmother push her out of mind contact with the ferocity of a mother bear. Thora was crying in earnest now. Hours later, her pace had slowed down to a stumble. Unable to track what was happening at the hall, she felt nothing until she and Svort settled under some brambles in what was undoubtedly a space used by deer for a rest. It felt safe, and they both slept. She woke from a dream in which her grandmother's spirit lifted gently from her spent body, gathered her in a wordless kiss, and then departed. Thora knew she was gone. Surely the Valkyries would claim her or her dear Freya. She slept again. She woke to a rustling sound, and as she opened her eyes, she saw that Sport was listening as well. They froze as a long, dark muzzle pushed its way under the brambles, sniffing. The head snaked back and forth. It crept in further, revealing the face of a wolf. Its yellow eyes flared and narrow as it looked back and forth from them. A mirror, whispered Sport. Her eyes widened, but she slowly drew the mirror out, and he drew a hunk of bread out of his pocket, placing it on the mirror. She slowly put the mirror in front of the wolf. The wolf growled a little as the shiny mirror came close, and then whined as it smelled the bread. A long pink tongue came out and delicately curled around the bread, whisking it off of the mirror and swallowing it in a gulp. Thora, remembering the words of her grandmother, held the mirror up in such a way that the wolf's eyes locked onto the strange image shining in the reflection. It became very, very still. Tension started rippling down its back in waves, upending the stiff guard hairs of the beginnings of its winter coat. It crouched down in front of the opening, keeping its eyes on them. What did it see? asked Fort. I'm not sure, she whispered back. It's going to be a long night, said Svort. I'm afraid to move. She sighed. Svort sighed, and then the wolf sighed, closing its eyes. They all slept. She awoke in the dark, remembering to keep very still, not able to see if the wolf was still there. She took a cautious sniff, 
the wolf was still there, a musky, strong, dog-like smell. Swart was a warm bundle against her side. Swart said quietly, Something else came sniffing around and the wolf kept it away. I wonder if it protected us or is keeping us as provisions. Sport said stoically, I guess we'll find out. At daybreak, the wolf wriggled out of the little den and they heard it moving around. After a time, they heard no more noises and decided to try their luck as each of them needed to find a bush. When they rejoined each other, it was to find the wolf watching them. It didn't seem to want to close the gap. They sat down, bringing out food, and shared it, and the wolf crept closer. Thora served it some more bread on the mirror, and after the wolf gulped it down, gave it another opportunity to see itself as the mirror showed it. Again, the wolf became very still, and then shuddered as ripples moved down its spine and off its tail. When she slowly drew it back, she looked into it herself. She saw herself taller and leaner with a wildness and a wisdom in her countenance. She had a torque around her neck that gleamed dully. What do you see? Me, only wiser and more capable, he nodded. They continued on their way, rested and moving fast once they limbered up. The wolf came with them. Towards late afternoon, they heard the sounds of clanging and the sound of a working bellows, the familiar sounds of a smithy. The wolf disappeared into the trees. Sport said, dwarves, for the sounds were all lower to the ground and not really man height. Should we try to go around them? Too late, said Sport, looking in the direction of a gray-haired, bearded dwarf with a barrel chest and a hard, considering look on his sweaty face. She bowed respectfully to the dwarf who raised his eyebrows, seeing a dirty, disheveled human girl with a very visible elf. What brings you to my part of the forest? asked the dwarf in a deep, baritone voice. Fleeing danger, said Thor simply. Hopefully not out of the fires and into the forge, said Svort. The dwarf laughed, as Svort intended. If you want to cross through my forest, you have to pay a toll. What is the toll? Well, I could ask for a night with you or what you have in your bags or both, said the dwarf with a bit of a leer. Used to the drunken men at her father's hall when he was in residence, this suggestion did not scare her too much. Well, a little, but not too much. What about a bit of gold? She offered in what she hoped was the beginning of bargaining. She drew out a bit of gold held in her pocket in case of just this kind of an event. She drew out the mirror from the pocket of her cloak and put the gold on it, offering it to the dwarf. Here now, what's this, said the dwarf, interested in the mirror. He pocketed the gold quickly, pulled the mirror out of her hands. Holding it up to his face, he admired the artistry of the metalwork surrounding the mirror. Doing so, he caught a glimpse of his own face and adjusted the mirror to see himself fully. Like the wolf, he went very, very still. Like the wolf, he shuddered a little and handed the mirror back. Well then, come with me and I'll feed you and send you on your way. Following him, they went to his smithy in the forest where he poured them some fine ale. His gruff manner had disappeared and he seemed genuinely interested in helping them. He went to his forge, which had a place for a stew pot on it, which they duly admired as a clever innovation. Saves time, he said matter-of-factly. After feeding them, he rummaged in a trunk and pulled out from a bag a cloth-wrapped bundle and unrolled a darkly gleaming torque. He held it up, looking at Thor's neck, and went to the forge and efficiently heated it up, reshaped it, and add a little bit of a design, and thrust it into the water. He drew the steaming necklet out and waved it around a bit and plunged it in the water again. He dried it and offered it to Thora. This will keep you safe in the woods. No one's going to harm you when you're wearing this. Not even that wolf that's following you. Thora and Svart looked at each other and Thora said mistily, tears leaking from her eyes. Oh, thank you. Now get on, said the dwarf. You can't stay here. I have men coming who aren't safe for a girl like you. They're coming from the direction you came from and going back that way, too. We can't go back. 
said Thora. We can only go forward. Be off then, and best luck to you. They continued on their trek through the forest with the wolf rejoining them once well past the smithy. The trees grew even larger and darker and the path a bit more narrow. Less folk went this far. As night drew closer and the temperature dropped, they debated about making a fire once they found a likely spot. Svart longed for his fire and the comfort he drew from it as well as the strength. She worried about scaring the wolf. I don't think this wolf will be scared by it if you're there. I think it has to be with you now. Oh, Gran, what magic did you make? We'll find out. They found a little half-cave, shelter enough from the night and weather, if it came, for rumblings could be heard in the sky. Thora felt the witch was still tracking them with weather eyes, and they kept beneath the trees at all times so as not to be seen by any high-flying spy. They felt safe enough and tired enough to have just the tiniest fire. Thor made tea for them and they ate the remaining bread, again sharing it with the wolf. The wolf huddled closer, clearly drawn to the warmth of the fire. Pondering all the strange things that had happened in such a short time, Thor drowsed in the warmth and had a feeling almost of safety. A strange dream in which a tall, light-haired woman looked down at her with calm, considering eyes went through her mind. She started awake to find that the woman wasn't only in the dream, but here in the flesh. Was it the witch? She felt only a calm presence, and the cool eyes regarded her without threat. The woman asked her why she was here. Thora started even further when she realized that she heard the words in her mind, like conversations with Gran. Fleeing danger, she answered the same way. Ah, you seek refuge in my forest. I see old thirst has left you pass, she indicated the torque. She drew her skirts around her and settled down beside Thora. The wolf watched intently. Yes, he did help us. How did that come about? A bit of gold. Oh, have you more of that? Oh, yes, she said, reaching into her pocket for another chunk. I do. She put the gold nugget on the mirror and passed it to the woman. When she received the mirror, the woman laughed shortly and said, Most clever and not, I think, your work. She pocketed the gold and looked into the mirror with resignation. No, it was the mirror and the work of my gran. I've heard about her through my deer and through my birds. She gazed calmly at her reflection, her face in cool repose, relaxed, and she smiled faintly, handing back the mirror. Come, dears, apparently I'm to be your new foster mother. As she stood up to walk, turning her back on them, they saw the golden tufted tail peeking out from the hem of her long skirts. She gave them a slanting glance over her shoulder with raised brow. Forest mother, breathes for giving her a low bow. She can protect you. Us, said Thora, indicating the wolf too. She can protect all of us. That's a beautiful story. I have to admit a part of me was hoping that the mirror would bring the grandmother back, but that wasn't meant to be. I also loved the forest and the mirror. I wanted to free the house elf, though, especially when they got to the forest. <laughs> so, yeah, but it was very, very beautiful. I love the tone, as always. You're, you're a beautiful writer. I appreciate it. Thank you. I don't think he wanted to be freed, though. I mean, just judging how much he wanted his own fire, his own hearth somewhere. Right place to be but and I I feel like the grandmother knew that for him you know that this was their their adventure she was passing a beloved not servant but a beloved companion to her daughter so right I did think about the elf too in that way and the way I look at it with those kinds of relationships, it's companionship and so much more. 
it's a blessing to have an elf and it's a blessing for the elf to be that magical being that protects the home and it's very much their own home and the relationship between the home and the elf and the family is something really really sacred and i would be sad to think right where where would he go i don't know i can't help but compare sometimes some of these beings that are bound to families and and homes is the house spirits that without a house and without a family they're really they feel displaced in my mind they're not unwelcome he wouldn't have to leave <laughs> just be permitted to I found myself talking to my little elf friend over here and being like, I love having you here. If you want to go, you can, but I love having you here. <laughs> so. Right. The choice is a nice option. <laughs> right. My sense about that, though, is that it was a protection for the elf also. When his destiny was bound with hers, then he survived. Yeah was very much in if I am saying it I didn't portray it so much but it felt as though she really wanted him to have that life mm-hmm. yeah I've always found that confusing I have no clear thoughts we may not know the way of elf right we know what's know. right for any any individual or I, I don't know or what the protocols are yeah the joining of one lineage to another, um, or the continuation of one lineage to another, um, right. or even what the binding really entails with the intention. Right. Yeah. A promise of relationship, which makes me think that the terms can always be renegotiated. And the mirror. So was the mirror in the family for generations? I'm really... <laughs> It was such, it was, there's so much in the story. I feel like there was, I don't know, my mind just wandered all over about. Yeah, well, it was the grandmother's scrying mirror. And I don't know that much about the family, but I mean, what I do know is the father goes off raiding, that he may have pissed off somebody who employs the witch. That was their best right. right. But the mirror felt like it had been around like it was a generational mirror but for scrying she repurposed it she did yeah <laughs> compelling people to support thora and sport i saw that mirror and when people would look into it seeing a version of their best self in that moment what would the version of their best self look like i love that that's a great Very clever grandma. (laughs) Thank you, grandma. This beautiful story. Really, really magical as always. So much there. I think it might continue too. I want to find out more personally about the forest. Uh And Thora. She's lovely. Lovely young lady. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much. And... um, Whose whose story are we going to hear now? I can read my story. Mine is called The Mended Mirror. F word. Eva exhaled sharply as she watched her grandmother's mirror slide off the vanity counter and fall slowly onto the ceramic tile floor. It traveled down unnaturally fast, as if pulled by a strange dark hole gravity from another world. It landed the mirror face down, its back and frame unharmed, still holding the possibility of the mirror's surface intact. Eva crouched down slowly and knelt on the floor. She hesitated before turning the mirror over. Maybe, just maybe, it wasn't broken. No pieces fell to the ground when she moved it up. That's a good sign. The longer she held the mirror upside down, Unseen, the longer it would remain unbroken, she thought. What if she never turned it over? This appealed to Eva greatly, and it seemed like a fabulous plan, until about 15 minutes went by and her legs began to cramp. So with a heavy sigh, she turned it over with one quick swoop. F-word, she whispered, as she stared at her face reflection split into two. Breaking a mirror was bad enough in her family, 
which was ruled by her mother Katya, who was ruled by baking and superstition. But this mirror in particular was special, very special. It was brought here by her grandmother Dana from Romania, and it has been in the family for years before that. The women in her family have been passing it down for generations after the eldest daughter would turn 16, just like Eva did last month. Eva had no idea what breaking this mirror would mean for her and the traditions in her family. What she did know and felt was that nothing would be the same again. She knew she would have to tell her mother at some point about this horrible news, but until then, she decided to hide the mirror safely until she came up with a plan or excuse as to what had happened. The rest of the morning was simply ruined. Everything was bleak and fractured and tinged with a heavy sense of doom. Toast burned, coffee spilled with chunks of grounds in it, outfit questionable at best, with no time to change, mood cloudy with no hope in sight. Hopefully nobody would notice Eva's mood and nobody would ask what's wrong. It was helpful that her moods were often a little gloom-filled in the mornings right before school. What is going on with that outfit? Eva's father's pondering was innocent, sincere, deeply seeking to understand the layers of his daughter's clothes as an interpretation of her 16-year-old mind. This morning, more than others, he was at a complete loss. His brow wrinkled over his glasses like a wave on a lake. Stop it, Ronald. Can't you see she's not herself this morning? Her mother, Katya, threatened the poor man with one of her piercing looks. Ronald adored and feared his wife in equal amounts, so he looked away quickly, bearing himself into the morning paper again. Right before Katya's attention settled on her eldest daughter, a triple honk was heard in the driveway, saved by the honk. Is that even a thing? Yuri's here, time to go. Don't forget your lunch, her mother said and pointed to the counter where Eva's dark purple moth lunchbox was waiting. Thanks, mom, Eva mumbled as she ran out the front door. The sky, like Eva's thoughts, was gray with heavy clouds. No rain yet, but it was inevitable. A storm more like it, judging by the color of the clouds. With her head lowered, she climbed into the galaxy blue vehicle that waited in the driveway. What's wrong? You're so quiet. Yuri, Eva's best friend since elementary school, asked as soon as she settled into her seat. Something horrible had happened. And I don't want to tell you because you will make it worse. Rude, I am your best friend. How would I make it worse? By freaking out and being dramatic or pointing out something I might've mixed in my own looping obsession of the situation? Wow, that's like a dagger to my heart. It hurts, it really hurts. I can't believe you'd think I would freak out or that I would be dramatic. Fine, don't tell me, I don't even care. Yuri waved his hand around wildly as if chasing away an angry hornet that had suddenly entered the car cabin. He turned up the music and began singing aloud loudly with very violent hand movements. After about 45 seconds, the song had been turned down as abruptly as it has been turned up. You have to tell me, not knowing is literally killing me. What did you do? Why do you assume it was something I did? That is also rude. Eva's regular lively fire began to come back online. Yuri rolled his eyes and sighed deeply, which was as close to an apology as it would ever get. Eva looked out the window, imagining her world before the mirror was broken. Well, Yuri moaned. Remember my Nana Dana, the one my mom always talked about? The one who died when I was a baby? The one who came here from Romania? Yuri nodded excitedly, his hand on his chest, because... Nana Dana was a magical creature, a seer. Eva's family spoke of her with great respect and appreciation. Remember my 16th birthday last month when my mom gave me the mirror just like Nana Dana gave it to her on her 16th birthday and on her deathbed told her that it was the family's most precious possession and that my mom must guard it with her life. And then I must guard it too? Yes, yes, Yuri was nodding and then gasped loudly. Oh, wait, don't tell me. Nana Dana appeared in the mirror this morning and you are scared? No, I wish. I would have dealt with that, Eva said sadly and finally confessed. It broke. The mirror broke this morning. The car stopped abruptly, brakes squealing loudly and was pulled over the side in a car chase fashion 
making Eva spill her coffee onto her sweatshirt sleeves. Seriously? Do you mind? What the hell, Yuri? This is really bad, Yuri shrieked, his eyes as big as saucers. Like, really bad. What are you going to do? Well, um, that much from that being dramatic. Thanks a lot, Eva grumbled. I knew it. I had a feeling something horrible was going to happen today. I had this vision of darkness, like a cloud of death, a bad omen. Yuri was clearly at a point of no return as his train headed to a doom station. Eva shook her head and dropped deeper into her sweatshirt. Today, like the rest of her life, was going to suck, she thought to herself as Yuri rambled on the rest of the ride to school. Eva tried to tune as much of him out as she could, but certain words stood out sharply. Cursed. Horrible consequences. Seven years of bad luck. Family despair, to name the few. Finally, as they arrived at the parking lot, Yuri found a strength to collect himself and announced, It's going to be okay. Don't worry. We're in this together. And we will come up with a plan. Ah, yes. Those were the words that were most often exchanged between the two friends, and usually they were followed by something even worse than before. The rest of the day dragged on for Eva, behind a fog of fear and anxiety further induced by Yuri's talk of curses and impending doom. And outside of that, this mirror meant so much to her Nana and to her mother. And the importance behind the 16th birthday and the mirror being passed down at the time, it was a magical, sacred thing until now, under her possession, it laid up in a crimson velvet scarf at the bottom of her dresser, cracked like her family's lineage. She avoided looking into the mirrors in the bathroom or in the locker room. Her reflection there, though visibly unbroken, held the shadow of the shattered heirloom at home. The heaviness she carried carved a deep wound in how she saw the world and, most importantly, how she saw herself. At lunch, she could only manage to eat a couple of bites of her cheese and cucumber sandwich, which Yuri finished with gusto. He also pulled out a couple of cards from the Crow's Wisdom Oracle deck. The cards must have offered some relief, and his face brightened. Grandmother Crow, Black Wing of Change, Full Flight of New Beginnings. This is a powerful message, Yuri exclaimed. Clearly, this is an ancestral situation we are dealing with. Great change has occurred. That would be you, Eva, breaking the mirror, but that's okay. There are greater forces at play here that we can see. And new beginnings. That's you coming into your power. Maybe you will be a seer like your Nana Dana. Too bad you broke her mirror. It would have been great to scry with. Eva rolled her eyes at Yuri. She would have appreciated an interpretation of these cards with a little less blame involved. Based on the reading, it was decided that Yuri would come over after school and they would examine the mirror together, maybe even talk to it. If it was magical, surely a conversation was possible and maybe it would tell them how it could be fixed. Or, in the very least, they would figure out a way to make it look like an accident that happened while nobody was even touching it. On the way home, Brain had begun to fall, cloaking Eva once again in a heavy sorrow. One way or another, she was going to have to deal with this situation and before her mother Katya could find out. Now, remember, act normal, she demanded while grabbing Yuri's arm tightly. Don't get too chatty with my mom, no matter what she asks. She already thought something was wrong with me this morning and will want me to talk about my feelings. Yuri nodded in agreement. Yes, talking about feelings with Eva's mother was an important activity to avoid. The two of them snuck in through the kitchen, but unfortunately, Katya was already there waiting for them with sugar cookies. Hi, Katya. These smell divine, Yuri said and drifted over to the fresh baked goods as if hypnotized. He was ignoring Eva's dirty looks entirely as he reached for the sweets. Katya was an amazing baker. I knew that Eva was having a bad morning, so I baked her her favorite treat. How was your day? Are you feeling better? Katya blinked her bright green eyes at her daughter like a giant cat. Yes, I'm just a little stressed about my self-portrait project for the art class that's due on Friday, Eva replied quickly. Yuri promised to help me, didn't you, Yuri? We don't have a lot of time, so we should be head upstairs right away, she added as she ran past her mother, grabbed a cookie, and headed up to her room. Yuri followed with a few cookies in hand. Thank you, Katya. Good to see you. Your eyeshadow looks amazing today, he said, smiling coyly. 
He didn't want to be too sharp with Katya. If he was, she would surely pick up on it, and there might be more interrogation. Once in Eva's room, with the door safely closed, Yuri sat on the bed and awaited for the mirror to be revealed from its cloth-bound abyss. Eva brought it out and set it up on the bed, opening the velvet cloth slowly and exposing the ornate white wooden frame, beautifully stained by time, that bound the broken glass. The crack went all the way through the oval mirror. It began at the bottom in one line and split up into two on the top, like a letter Y or a tree branch. Eva sighed heavily again and her eyes watered. This was the only possession that was in her family that made it here from Romania. She glanced up at Yuri through her tears. This is really bad. I'm going to have to tell my mother. Yuri shared her somber mood empathically. He reached out and wrapped her hand, smiling softly. Can I see it? Eva nodded and handed him the bundle. Yuri examined the mirror from all sides, feeling around the brakes, looking at the thin, dark wooden backing on the other side. I think we can find another piece of mirror and replace it pretty easily. We should be able to find it in a similar size at a secondhand store. And it's not shattered, it's just broken and needs mending. If it was shattered, that would have been really bad. The only thing that will do is to keep this break a secret that I will have to carry. I will always know the mirror was broken under my watch. It's not going to be the same, mended or not, she said sadly and began to trace the mirror edges with her finger. I'm so sorry, Nana Dana. I'm so sorry I broke your mirror, she whispered as a big, heavy tear fell into the mirror with a wet drop sound, which was then followed by another sound, not from her tears, but from something coming from inside the mirror. Yuri and Eva exchanged puzzled looks. She touched the mirror again, pressing down a little hard on the surface, and one of the pieces popped up, separating itself from the rest so it could be easily removed. Once removed, the open spot in the mirror revealed something like a piece of paper, tucked into the edge of the frame. Carefully, Eva's fingers pulled out the paper which was folded, and she opened it gently. It was a letter. The paper was browned with time and the writing old-fashioned and lovely. It was written in English. With trembling hands, she held it and began to read. My dearest Eva, if you are reading this letter, it means that you are now at least 16 years old, which is the age I was when I came to America. It is many years after that now, and I am not there to hold you and tell you all the things a Nana would want to share with her first granddaughter on her 16th birthday. I have no doubt in my mind that you are as beautiful as a flower and as sweet as honey. Don't ever let anybody tell you different, for I know this to be true about you. If you are reading this letter, this also means that the mirror is broken. What a blessing. This is no ordinary mirror, as I'm sure your mother has told you, and it's been in our family for generations. In our family, there are many superstitions and beliefs that were meant to be remembered. But more importantly, they were here to help us, not to bind us. This mirror, for example, loves to break. It has a mind of its own, and it longs to be renewed, replaced, reconfigured at the exact right time. It listens to the heart of the person who holds it. And when that heart is too heavy, the mirror breaks. It's nothing you did, my dear. And no, you didn't curse the family. As you can see, by the break, this letter found its way to you. It delights me to know that the words you are reading now are lifting your spirits and settling your heart, just like my grandmother's words settled mine many, many years ago, when the mirror broke when I came to America. The mirror has been replaced over and over again, and letters have been written to our granddaughters and hidden behind it. There's so much more I want to tell you, but for now, keep this letter close to you and read it whenever you are unsure or feeling blue and know that I'm always with you, and know that no worry is too big for you not to tell me. And you and your friend should find a mirror together so your mom doesn't know you broke it. She, unlike me, is too superstitious, but you don't have to be. And a mended mirror is as important as the one that has never been broken, probably even more so. All the love in my heart, Nana Dana. For the first time probably ever, Yuri was speechless. 
Eva, crying deeply, held the letter to her heart. Until this moment, she didn't know the true gift this mirror was and why it was so important to her family. The rain outside fell loudly against the roof, but it never felt as comforting as it did in this moment. What a wonderful surprise kind of twist to the story and deeply satisfying message. It was a gorgeous story. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It was very fun. It was very fun to write. Yeah. And it was just, I don't know, I thought it was sweet just to be in a really wanted to be told from a 16 year old's perspective, which I often find myself having at, you know, middle age, but that doesn't matter. It's, <laughs> it, it's fun to kind of hop times, you know, and go back in time and remember those kinds of moments and um, breaking a mirror. I remember breaking a mirror when I was, you know, a teenager and what a big deal that was and how it can be a big deal to people until it's not, until we make it not a big deal or something great. I find myself really touched by the kind of conspiracy within the family, too, of knowing that that happened to Katya, and yet she gave her daughter the space to go through all of it herself. Exactly. Without spilling the beans, so to speak, or, yeah, just having the whole experience of it. That it was pretty clever of Nana Dana as well. Mm. I had a dream once long ago about when I was going through a particularly uh, challenging rebirth kind of cycle where uh, I was looking into a mirror and the whole thing shattered and I had to eat the pieces to put myself back together. So, so it reminded wow. me of that write-off. Oh, just eat it. <laughs> no, don't really eat a mirror, anyone. No eating mirrors, only in dreams, only metaphorically. <laughs> you can paint yourself eating a mirror. Just don't do it. Right. Wow, that's a powerful dream. Very mm-hmm. powerful dream. Wow. I love the friendship between the two of them, too. I do, too. Yeah, they're very sweet. Yeah. I love the dad. his appearance is very momentary but I just don't know a good dad not understanding his children's outfits as dads really shouldn't (laughs) Mm -hmm. well all of them they were lovely family I thought so too yeah it's a beautiful tradition for a family was it silly to you when writing it yes good (laughs) that's fun (laughs) it it was it was um it made me laugh in a in a good way you know not in like a in a heart yeah in a heart lighted way but also did have some the threaded ponderings that were a little heavier but yeah it really was a delight to write and a delight to read thank you thank you thank you very much And now our lovely C has a story for us. My story is a mirror in that it is a reflection. I have had half a dozen names. Most of them were not of my choosing. When I was about to get married, one of my best friends asked me what I was going to do about my name. So I told her my choice. And she asked about other possibilities. Then she got out her paper, pencil, and calculator. We have to do the numerology to get you a good one. And with that, she figured out all my old names so we could see what numbers were best. My numbers apparently trended toward multiples of 10, and I'd had quite a selection. The new name that I had in mind would have been a four, but she dismissed that immediately and began coming up with alternatives, then trying to sell me on their charms. If I choose alternative A, which would endow me with a fabulous seven, I would then be attractive, fun-loving, and popular at parties. Alternative B, which would give me an 8, would make me stable, wealthy, and luxurious. And if we changed the spelling, I could have a lovely number 3, which would help me enamor the fates, who would then support me in achieving my dreams. What about the one I chose? I ask. 
You don't want that one. Look, if you pick the seven, then things will go well for you and you'll make lots of friends and they'll ensure that you are always well provided for. And if you pick the eight, then you will have a great job. And not only can you take care of yourself really well, but you can also take care of other people. You just need to have a little better boundaries. And the number three would let you travel the world because you would have full protection of all the elements and spirits. And the four, I ask. Well, she said, if you pick the four, then you will lose everything. Your whole world will come apart and you will have to start over. That's the right one, I said. Well, she said, if you pick the four, then you will lose everything. Your whole world will come apart and you will have to start over. Yes. No, she replied, that's a bad one. There's not a good or bad one, I said. There's only a right or wrong one. I get that if I pick the seven, I'll be vivacious and compelling, but I am not vivacious and compelling. That is not who I am. That feels dead when I think about it. When I think about the four, I don't feel excited about losing everything, but it feels right, like I'm doing the right thing, like I'm alive and it's where I'm supposed to go. Plus it's the name I already chose. She could not believe that I wanted true instead of pleasant. But you could have a better life. You could be popular and have what you want. We stared at each other until she remembered that I'm a Capricorn. Okay, she finally said, let me see what I can do. Then she played with her pencil and paper extensively. Eventually, she looked up. Well, she said, if you pick that name, you will lose everything. But you'll be okay. Just don't let it make you bitter. But I really think you should pick a different one. You do have a choice here. You could be popular or rich or graced. That's the right one, I said, and I took the name. And years later, when I looked out the back window of my Silicon Valley Victorian at my beautiful rose garden, I thought, one day I will lose you. But until then, I will love you. And each time I closed the door on my bright yellow ragtop 1961 VW bug with a license plate that said VW Lemon, I thought, one day I will lose you, but until then, I will love you. And when my friends came for my annual gingerbread house party, I would look around the room and think, one day I will lose all of you, but until then, I will love you. And when my marriage deteriorated, I thought, this won't make me bitter. And when a client took me for $15,000 out of pocket, I thought, this won't make me bitter. And when I moved away from my awesome house and my fabulous friends, I thought, this won't make me bitter because I have loved it. Recently, it has occurred to me that this warning, meant to frighten me and to make me turn back, has been one of the best things anyone has ever said to me because it is so true. It is always true. We always lose everything no matter what our names are. So now I say it to you, you will lose everything. It might happen when you're old or it might happen when you're young. It might happen slowly over time, a gradual eroding of everything you've accumulated, or it might happen in one fell swoop on your deathbed, but it will happen. You will lose everything, but don't worry. Everything will be okay. Just don't let it make you bitter. When you hold something beautiful in your eye or your hand or your heart, love it for all your worth so that when you inevitably lose it, you do so with gratitude and not regret. Because at the end of the day, no matter what our numerology, we all leave on zero. What an amazing story. And is this a true story? Yeah. Is this the current name of yours? No. No, when I got divorced, I, I changed my name again. The power of the name and the power of our purpose. That's beautiful. I love the fearlessness of this choice and the transparency and the honesty of it. Thank you. Yeah, it's really, really a profound story in many ways from... Anyway, look at it, it's just very, very profound. It's like the door to the Holy Grail. You know, there's only one Holy Grail. There's only one version of ourselves at a certain time that is absolutely true. Right. And we would know at the end of the day if we didn't choose wisely. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and even to have a friend be the mirror for you, too, to reflect these different possible lives and for you to be able to feel the life or the lack of life in those potential lives, too. Like, what a mirror that is. Yeah. Can you imagine me being vivacious at parties? Like, I can't even see it. <laughs> like, like, that's just kind of not right. It's about the party. It's got to be the right party, not just any party. <laughs> it's a party where the four is welcome. That's right. <laughs> it's a party where the four and only the four can thrive in that time. Yeah. It's also about having that sense, too, of what our our destiny or our fate or our life, you know, the life path that we're on and what things are congruent with it and what things are not congruent with it. Mm-hmm. But the remembrance of loving what we have when we have it is part of the profound aspect of the story. Um, the truth of reset. And the truth of losing everything at a certain point, or just when there is a change, whether that's a death or a major event where we really are reset. Or an upgrade. When you were talking about the grail, I was thinking, you know, as soon as you take a sip of the grail, you've lost everything. You've just given up everything you used to be because everything about who you are is now different. Right. And you are in uncharted territory at that point, too. Mm-hmm. It's like, and it reminded me in a way of your story, Gabriella, of the mirror that wants to renew itself, that doesn't want to be held in thrall to a family, but wants to be fresh with each person that connects. So, Right. And your story, Betsy, which I felt was the mirror of the truth, the true essence of someone at their best or at their most most aligned with something bigger than themselves or the truth of who they could be. Given a little push with her clear persuasion. Of course, of course. Right, right. Interest of keeping it safe and alive, those that she cares for. But yeah, brilliant kind of brilliant mirrors. Also, the concept of the mirror reminds me of the old medieval concept of the mirrors of princes or the mirrors of kings or queens that we're meant to be the reflections of who we are at our best. You know, handling all these different situations is what those written mirrors would be about. And yeah. kind of adding that dimension into the mirror as well. well. That was fun. They were very vibrant stories. And very, very appreciative of them. Me too. I like them as a group. Me too. I, lo- I love our, our mirrors. Maybe they'll be other mirrors in the future. They felt really, really powerful and important. Many different ways to go with the mirrors. Yeah. 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 So we hope you enjoyed our stories and look in the mirror and see what you see. And special thanks to the fantastic Zoe Magic for her phenomenal editing skills.